Good morning, everybody. Very good to be here. And uh, yeah, as was shared a little bit earlier on by Andy and the others, exact, exactly a week ago, uh, the temperatures were higher where we were, which was very welcome. Uh, but we were standing, the 11 of us, in a, in a little uh, patch of land on the edge of a very small rural village in a very poor part of Western Kenya in the diocese, helping to celebrate, worship, launch the 142nd church that the Diocese of Creature have planted. They started in 2008 with eight churches. Here we are 15 years later. We were contributing to the 142nd church plant, which is in in itself pretty amazing, having spent the week kind of traveling around, engaging people in conversation, inviting them, uh, and and, and generally just trying to join in with what the Lord is doing in that amazing part of the world. And it was such a privilege. And there was a lady who came up and she interrupted, in, in an honoring kind of a way, the service. Uh, but she did interrupt it and she said I've got to tell you what God has done I can't wait any longer I've just got to say what God has done and it turned out that uh, that a couple of days earlier the team as we'd been kind of going around these various sort of locations and small dwellings had uh, prayed for this woman and for her baby who was very very sick and the next morning she'd woken up and her baby was completely better and so she just needed to come and say, I can't, I can't help. I've just got to tell. I've got to tell you what God has done. And, and there's something about that uh, that even now as I speak, I find unbelievably invigorating. Hill, Hills has just prayed for me. And she says, she said, she didn't know what she was saying, but well, she did. But she, she, the, word she, <laughs> the word she used was, when Jesus walks into a room, everything's possible. When Jesus walks into him, everything's possible. All bets are off. We've celebrated how that is possible, how he made that possible through his sacrifice. Today, remember it, say, through his sacrifice, victory opens up, possibility opens up, all kinds of things open up. And I need constantly reminding about that in a world which can have an element of routine about it and breaking your routine and going off to Kenya is about as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. And there I'm being reminded that God is in the business of healing. He's in the business of encouraging. He's in the business of bringing his power to bear. He's in the business of encountering all of us at our point of need, wherever you're at right right now. I believe God wants to do something about that right now, not even you know, Wednesday next week or week on Thursday or if you behave nicely or any, any of that stuff, because he's God and he's with us and he's for us. And when he walks into a room, everything's possible. And we need to, to hear that with fresh vigor as we've been invigorated uh, by, our worship, by being with our worshiping, faith-filled friends in, in Kenya. It's been an absolute privilege to be there. And uh, just another short story was we went into the prison. Andy was saying we found ourselves in this prison, slightly interesting experience, walking in. There's about four or 500 uh, men in stripy pajamas just waiting for what's going to happen. There's a celebration and all kinds of good things went on. But at one point there was a, a guy, a young guy who said, I used to be a pastor and I was invited to preach somewhere. And I went to this church and I preached and I finished and I walked out and 200 yards down the road as I was leaving, I saw a motorbike. So I nicked it. I got nicked and now I'm in jail. <laughs> He said, I actually, his, his, his testimony was, I, I have actually valued the time uh, that God has given me in this place to re-examine myself, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to do stuff in me, to refine me, to bring me to a, a different kind of place. And I'm now giving witness to his mercy and his kindness. And I'm looking forward to, he said, already in beginning to enjoy, but looking forward to a different future, a better future, one of faithful obedience to Jesus. I was very struck by that. A better life, one that goes well, is what he was saying. And, and friends, it's pretty obvious that as a starting point, we want our life to go well. We want things to go well. 
We want our life to be good. We want the life of our, our friends, family, and, 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 and the world, to, to, in many respects, to go well. So as we draw this Fear of the Lord series uh, to, to an end today, and Andrew rightly says it's only the series that is ending, not the concept of what the Lord has been showing us and inviting us into. In fact, it feels, if I'm really honest, it feels like a beginning. It feels like a beginning. It really does. Uh, and so we need to be those who are faithful to continue. But let me, let me uh, just make a declaration over us. In fact, it's what Deuteronomy 5.29 says. Moses here, revealing the heart of Father God for you, for us today, for his people. The Lord says, oh, that their hearts will be inclined to fear me and to keep all of my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. That includes us. That's a great verse, isn't it? What an incredible declaration from the heart of the Father. Hear it again this morning, friends. God loves you. He's for you. He wants your life to go well. He's not waiting for something else to happen before that happens. There may be roadblocks in the way and so on. And then the generations that that succeed us. That's his heart because he loves us. Proved it supremely in Jesus dying for us. But it's linked to something, and the something that it's linked to in this verse here is living your life in the fear of the Lord. Living your life in the fear of the Lord. We've looked at a whole number of stories over these past weeks, haven't we? Here's another little one from uh, uh, King Uzziah. Uh, It's going to come up on the screen. You can find it if you like, but I'm not going to dwell on it. But just as by way of getting us going again, 2 Chronicles 26, here's Uzziah. He's 16 years old. He becomes king. He reigns in Jerusalem for 52 years. And the Bible says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in what? The fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord for Uzziah, it went well with him. For as long as he sought the Lord, for as long as he was living in the fear of the Lord, for as long as he was living under that instruction of the fear of the Lord, it went well with him. And God gave him success. Interestingly, after that success, he defeated people, he built cities, contributed to a real prospering in the nation, but it went to his head. Verse 16 sadly says he became powerful, and then his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord our God. It all ended in tears. Why? Because he stopped fearing the Lord. No fear... um, might look good on a t-shirt, but it's a stupid principle for life. It, it's, true, it's true that there are... I'm feeling in blunt mode today. <laughs> Can you tell? You know, there's, plenty, there's plenty of fears um, that are bad, obviously, and crippling. And by the way, the fear of, the man, the fear of man is top of that list for us. And you heard something about that last week, I, I, I believe. Um, But there are fears that are good, and the fear of the Lord is top of that list. In fact, to go well with us, for life to go well with us, it's essential, says the word of God. And I wonder how much we we believe that, or beginning to to re-believe that in a deeper way. So I'm just drawing a few threads together from from the series, and and then ending in a kind of place of, okay, so so what, and how how then might we begin more faithfully to to grow in in, in this fear of the Lord and work it out? And, And clearly, friends, it's not an optional extra. I think we've come to understand that, even if, we, even if we didn't before. If we've been in any doubt about how essential the fear of the Lord is to our own kind of flourishing as followers of Jesus, I'm praying that that doubt has been, uh, begun to be eroded. And we see the centrality of this. Remind you of a few quotes that have happened at various places uh, through the last few Sundays. The fear of the Lord is normal Christian life. 
said C.S. Lewis. The fear of the Lord is normal Christian life. Another one said, again, a bit more bluntly, if there's no fear of the Lord in your view of God, then your view of God is false. Isaiah 11, we saw that one of the main evidences of the Holy Spirit being on or in somebody, one of the main evidences of the Holy Spirit of God being on somebody or in somebody is the fear of the Lord. It was true for Jesus in that messianic prophecy, how much more so for us. How true does that feel for you? And then some of the beautiful fruits, the blessings associated with this, this dimension of the way that we relate to the Lord. Again, not time to, to go over all of that ground, but some amazing, of the 300 plus references in scripture tied to this way that we relate to who, who the Lord is. Psalm 34 verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Does that attract you, the idea of being encircled around by the angelic hosts of heaven? How about being wise? Where does that begin? The fear of the Lord, again and again and again in the scriptures, Psalm 111, a few verses on the references there, up there. Delights. Do you want the Lord, do you want to know yourself as somebody in whom the Lord delights? There's a condition attached to that. He delights in those who fear him. How about living a long life? The fear of the Lord even adds length to life. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. For his children it will be a refuge. The Lord, something precious about intimacy here, Psalm 25. The Lord confides in those who fear him, makes his covenant known to them. That's, that's an extraordinary picture of, of closeness, isn't it? Humility is the fear of the Lord. It's wages of riches and honor. And then from Acts, Acts at a different kind of church level, Acts 9.31, this amazing verse that we've referenced from time to time. How did the church multiply in the early days? How did the early church kind of grow and increase and, and get it set up? Was it because it ran fantastic alpha courses? Well, it may have done, but this verse says, it, by living in the fear of the Lord. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Two, the twin tracks, living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. The church increased in numbers. So many things attached to the fear of the Lord, this core concept. How have we missed it so badly? We asked that at the beginning. How, how have we missed it? Maybe you feel you haven't missed it and you've been living powerfully in the fear of the Lord. Forgive me then if I'm, if I'm treading insensitively. I'm speaking to myself. How, have I just, how did I manage to miss this? Or downplay it, perhaps, so, so grievously. The fear of the Lord that permeates Scripture, like Brighton Rock. Remember saying, you, you, you break it anywhere. You break Scripture anywhere. And what you find is the fear of the Lord on, on almost every page, wherever you look. This key part, how we relate healthily to the Lord, is to fear him. And it seems that in my Bible, in some Bibles, we've almost sort of skipped over those pages. Or, yeah, sort of acknowledged it, but it's not kind of gone in somehow. Feels like that's happened. And I wonder in our part of the church, if, again, we, without going over this too much, but if we've swung from, uh, in time past, a religious spirit to a liberal spirit, a religious spirit that says, God won't love you unless you behave well, to a liberal spirit which says, God does love you unconditionally, so it doesn't matter too much whether you behave well. Feels as if we, for, for some of us in our part of the church, we've, we've kind of done that, that kind of swing. And we dare to call that grace, by the way, as if so we're under grace, not law, means that, that that justifies all of that. That's not grace. That's a toxic, dangerous, wrong uh, way of viewing the grace of God. In Isaiah's great vision, we reference this, Isaiah 6 of the Lord in the temple, high and lifted up, and his robe filled the temple. 
The angelic beings, they're calling out to each other, aren't they? They're, they're one word description of Yahweh in that moment, and they're not singing, loving, loving, loving. They could have done, it would have been true, but they didn't. Mighty, 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 they could have sung that. That would have been true, but they weren't. They, they were singing what? Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord. That was their one word to encapture something which, of course, is completely beyond all, all, all comprehension. I don't know how you imagine that scene in Isaiah 6. Totally beyond comparison, totally other, totally separate from his creation, our creator God in all of his majesty and splendor and power and might. Perfect in wisdom, perfect in purity, perfect in every way, and yes, in love. Totally other. And Isaiah kind of gets it in that moment. He, he can do nothing other than to recognize his own limitations, frailty, brokenness in the light of who God is and goes, wow, whoa, woe is me, I'm unclean. And again, rather bluntly and maybe naffly, but we said there's, there's, there's a woe that is a shrinking back in the presence of the awesome God, in, in an awareness of just who he is and how far above and beyond the majestic he is. That, that, that shrinks back like Isaiah, and yet somehow at the same time, there's a kind of a wow, there's a, there's a compelling attraction towards the majesty of God, and Isaiah ends up saying, well, uh, he doesn't run away, he says, well, here am I, send me something of true awe and reverence in that awareness that can only lead, the, fruit, the, the, the true fruit of it, it can only lead to a humbling, can only lead us, as it were, to, to our knees and to a, a kind of fresh surrender, a fresh honoring, a fresh determination to be those who faithfully walk with him and obey him. And if we don't, if we miss this, if we continue to miss this, touched on a few of these things, we're, we're much more like, without the fear of the Lord, we're much more likely to be soft on sin, strong on the fear of man, and weak on obedience. Probably a bunch of other things too. I don't really like dwelling on this stuff because it's, who wants to dwell on this stuff? But we've got to recognize it. There's dangers here, and our scriptures t- tell us all about this. Came across a rather unpleasant story, but because I'm in blunt mode, I'll tell it. <laughs> father trying to teach his teenagers to be more discerning about the kind of media that they consumed. And one time the youngsters were saying to him, well, well, this thing that we want to watch, it, you know, it's, it's really, really good. Honestly, it's really good stuff. There's just a bit of evil stuff in the film, but it's mostly really good. And so the dad agrees to let them begin watching. And he, he goes out into the kitchen and he starts baking brownies and he brings them back in a bit later. And just as the teens are about to grab the brownies, he says, I really hope you enjoy these brownies. They're they're mostly full of really, really good stuff, sugar and chocolate and all that. I just added a very small amount of dog poo from the garden. (laughs) But go ahead, you know, help yourself. That's one creative parent right there. (laughs) Can I say it like this? The degree to which we're willing to tolerate evil, or even invite it, is the degree to which we don't yet fear the Lord. Soft on sin. Strong on the fear of man is one of the, the great, perhaps the greatest opponent 
to the fear of God would be the fear of man. And in our culture, it feels to me as if the fear, it's the fear of man, actually, that is the huge driver under so much that is so dysfunctional, the, the offense, the blame, the, the intolerance, and so on. Here's Galatians 1.10. We, we can't have it both ways. We can't fear God and man. It's one or the other. Galatians 1.10. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I'm still trying to please people, then I am not a servant of Jesus Christ, says Paul, who was blunter than most. And of course, weak on obedience. That's bound to happen, isn't it? There's a word, by the way, obedience, that needs redeeming and, and honoring in a, in a biblical kind of a way. The, it, it's simply the outworking, biblically, isn't it, of knowing the love of God. It's the outworking of being full of and aware of the love of Jesus. If you love me, you'll do what I say. He said it, John 15. If you love me, of course you will. Because you'll know that that's honoring of him and contributes to life going well. And more than that, when we fear the Lord, when we know his love, we want to do that. We want to obey him. We live from his love, not for it. And again, love and fear, they're not separate categories. The love of God, the fear of God, it's not like one's over here, one's over here. No, they, they completely coexist. God is love. And every one of his attributes and characteristics in his nature is an outworking of that, whatever that is. Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord delights, again, there it is, in those who fear him, who put their hope in his love. Fearing him, loving him, right in the same verse, wrapped together, not remotely in separate categories, part of the same thing, if we're being biblically joined up about this. So to experience things about God that make us fear him is entirely consistent with experiencing things about God that make us fear him. That make us love him. Did I say that right? That make us fear him, consistent with loving him. And I think we get that in, in theory, but just in practice. I wonder if our emphasis tends to be so much on the God who is compassionate, so much on the Father who is for us and with us and, and wants to comfort us and give us things and meet our needs, so much on that, that the fear of the Lord has become just a little strange and a, a little bit left on the, on the shelf. Scripture is the litmus test, friends. It's where we go for this, isn't it? I, we claim that it is anyway. And, and I've been a bit shocked by myself. Again, just as, as, as we've studied through this series, as we looked at these references, there's so much that gets skipped over. Again, no time to go into them. But how about, just in case we're, we're sort of still laboring under the illusion that, that the fear of the Lord was that Old Testament thing that stopped at Calvary, and then it kind of, God sort of changed his nature, and he, he's, he's, he's a different kind of God at this point. How about Ananias and Sapphira? Dipped into Acts 5 recently. Early followers, they were selling their possessions to give stuff to the poor. Ananias and Sapphira said that they had sold, well, they did sell a field. They said that they were bringing the whole, all of the proceeds to, uh, to, to put at the apostles' feet, knowing full well that they were keeping some of it back. So the, so, so the issue wasn't that they didn't sell the field. It was that they lied about it. And what happens, remember? They're lying, their hypocrisy, their you know, uh, hiddenness gets exposed, and they both drop down dead. At least, however, that whatever that story does to our heads, messes with our heads, at least let's notice God sees the heart. He hates sin, not in some sort of abstract way, as if this, this thing, sin, is bad, so you've got to hate it, but because it wrecks lives, our own and other people's, that's why he hates it. And he's very concerned for the purity of his church. He's very concerned for the purity of his bride. I think a huge outworking of the fear of the Lord is, is to be afraid then of the consequences of sin. I think that's a really healthy fear, if you want to see it like that, to be afraid of what goes wrong, 
what the damage that we cause, that is caused by sin. How about 1 Corinthians 11? Paul is very concerned about the churches there treating Holy Communion in an unholy way, a very unhealthy way. Um, not with the kind of reverence that it deserves, in fact, the total opposite, to the point where they bring judgment upon themselves. And then do you, do you notice this verse? Do you remember this verse anywhere? So that's why, because you've been doing it so casually like this, why many of you uh, among you are weak and sick, and a number of you, euphemism, have fallen asleep. You've died, says Paul. What are you going to do with that? This idea that God might bring illness or sickness or even death to a Christian believer for willfully continuing to participate in sinful practices. What category do we put that kind of thing in? I know I'm throwing out some big questions this morning, which I'm not going to answer. <laughs> I'm just acknowledging, we say, you know, are these the bits that we sort of skip over until we find something a bit more palatable? What about love and grace and forgiveness? We say, well, Paul, by the way, does clarify later that this wasn't a salvation issue didn't include the loss of salvation, but there is no shortage of New Testament teaching around the radical discipline of Father God, the radical discipline for his children, those whom he's forgiven, yes, but those whom he wants to sanctify and purify. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, the one who's most intimate with him, finds himself in Patmos, you know, the, the, where, where he receives the vision that becomes the book of Revelation. He fell down as if dead, says John. I fell down as if dead when Jesus appeared the one who'd known him most closely, something of the, the, the true fear of the Lord. And, and, uh, and in the vision that he gave, Revelation 2, 23, to John, uh, he said this, all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Hello? I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Writing to Christian believers. Writing to, to, to believers. Again, something we... Do, do, we, do we not know this? Do we skip over it? That there's, a, that there's a judgment for believers? Not the judgment around salvation, heaven or hell. At this point, we'll already be in heaven. But a judgment around, so what did you do with your life? How did it go for you? 2 Corinthians 5.10, if you want one verse of many. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us, for the things done while in the body, i.e. before death, whether good or bad. We're going to give an account, friends. We are going to give an account before the Lord for what we've done with the life that he gave us, the gifts he gave us, the calling he called us to. A little earlier, 1 Corinthians 3. And then I'll just move on. On, the, on that judgment day, verse 13, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. We're all building something. And, and fire will reveal it. And the fire will show if a person's work has, has value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work isn't, if the work's burned up, the builder will suffer loss. He'll be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Well, there's just three not quite plucked at random, I carefully chose them, but three scriptures. What's this doing to our sense of the fear of the Lord, friends? What's this doing to, the, to our sense of the, the way that we understand who God is and, and the need to keep going at that faithfully and biblically and truly? Fear of the Lord will keep you from sin, said somebody, or sin will keep you from the fear of the Lord. So just a little, a little bit as we wrap this bit up. How, how then do we grow? How then do we... I'm sure it's something that we've... If you've been discussing this in groups as we have, I, I, I'm, 
I reckon you'll, you'll be beginning to be, this is live on your radar. So how, how, do, I, how do we grow? How, how does this develop? How do we walk more faithfully in the fear of the Lord? And I recall saying right in the opening message that one of my biggest prayers for, for this series would be that by the time we get to Christmas, the, the, the best thing that could have happened is that we could say, I feel as if I know the Lord a bit better. I feel as if I know Jesus better. That's the best outcome because that's the thing that matters most. We weren't saying, here's this, this thing called the fear of the Lord and we're going to put it under a microscope and try and examine it and tear it apart and put it back together. And no, because it's a relational thing. It's about how we see Jesus. So a couple of final scriptures. Here's Proverbs 1, 28 to 30, and where wisdom, of course, is a kind of representation of God's voice, if you like, the, one who is, the only one who is truly wise, who calls us to trust and follow him. But to these people, uh, the context, he, he, he's speaking now to those who reject him. He says, when they cry for help, I won't answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they won't find me because they hated knowledge and they chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice. They paid no attention when I corrected them. So they need to eat the bitter fruit of living their own way. In other words, the consequence of no fear of the Lord. The Lord's saying, there was a time when I, when I called and they didn't answer. Well, now they're calling and I'm not answering. And why are they missing out then on on this wisdom, this way of doing life in the way that God intended so that it might go well? Why are they missing out on it? Three thoughts. Well, first thought, because they hated knowledge and they didn't choose the fear of the Lord. So three thoughts attached to that. One, we need to be decisive. We need to be decisive. We need to make a choice. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord starts, in my view, with a choice, at least a determination. I'm going to choose the route that will lead me into a greater understanding of who the Lord is. Whatever it means, whatever it takes, I'm willing from my heart to choose that route. We need to make a decision and keep making that decision. Second, be teachable. I'm going to say make the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures our teacher. As opposed to all our other teachers, by the way. We do realize, don't we, we don't stop learning, ever. Even those of us who are you know, getting a bit gray-haired, etc. We don't stop learning. And it's either Instagram or social media or our background or current affairs or our own logic or education, whatever, whatever. Will we be determined to be teach, continue to be teachable and make the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures our teacher and not Facebook? These people, they they didn't have the fear of the Lord. Verse 30, they rejected my counsel. They paid no attention when I corrected them. They were unteachable. Psalm 34 says, come my children and listen to me. I will teach you. It's the Holy Spirit's voice. Holy Spirit speaking. I will teach you to fear the Lord. So in order to, to grow and be taught, I need to listen. I sometimes reference my, too, too often for, for your money, I'm sure, my, my religious parrot that sits on my shoulder yapping, it's, it's nonsense. It kind of, you know, try harder, do more, all of that toxic stuff, and I'm trying to, you know, kill the parrot. On the other, but on the other shoulder, I sometimes do imagine um, a dove, a representative of the Holy Spirit. And somebody once said, what would you do if a dove was on your shoulder so that it didn't fly away? Well, the answer is you'd be really careful. You'd be really attentive. You'd be so aware that you wouldn't want to do anything or say anything that, that, that jarred with the presence of the dove. And I love that, as a, being reminded of that as an image of the spirit. How, my, my, my attentiveness, my, my care, my concentration, sensitivity. To ignore somebody who's speaking to us is so rude, isn't it? 
Do you enjoy those conversations as little as I do, where you're talking to somebody face-to-face, except they're not looking at your eyes, they're looking at what's going on behind your shoulder, seeing if there's somebody more interesting to talk to over there? That's not a proper conversation, is it? That's not paying attention. That's not listening attentively to the one who has got good things to say to us, who's wanting to show us the path of life. Let the Spirit control your mind. That's what leads to life and peace, says Romans 8, 6. So we're praying to know better the ways of the Spirit. Be more attentive. I'll teach you. Final verses. Proverbs 2. My child. Listen, it's Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures, hand in hand. Listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would search for silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. And then, the goal, then, verse 5, then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. You will know the Lord better and better and better. There's the goal, preceded by the hard work of faith, is what I might call this third category. Be decisive, be teachable, be hardworking. Yes, we believe in grace. Yes, we believe that his is the greater share. But where did this idea come from? That it's all, In this partnership, it's all about God and what he does and gives for me and mine just to receive. No, there's, there's, try telling Paul that he didn't work hard, by the way. There's the hard, what Hills and I often call the hard work of faith. Verse 1, listen, treasure. That's an attitude of the heart. Verse 2, tune your ears, concentrate, undivided attention. What does that need? It needs study. It needs reading. It needs... Uh, meditation, it needs reflection, it needs time, it needs when I'm not feeling like it. If I were to commend one practice, if you haven't begun it, which contributes to that sort of list of, of bits of work, I'd say journaling has been the most significant thing in my relationship with the Lord in the last 10, 15 years. Verse 3, crying out, that's all about prayer, the kind of, it all depends on you, Lord, kind of prayer. Verse 4, seek and search as if you're looking for treasure. Jesus had a lot to say about the guy who looked for treasure. It cost a lot. There's the hard work of faith, friends. This is not a walk in the park. I know that we know that. And it's not to earn brownie points. The treasure we're talking about, though, is the greatest treasure. It is to know Jesus better. It is to grow in our love of him and our fear of him. So that bit by bit, we become more like him. Bit by bit, the church of Jesus truly becomes the hope of the world around us. Amen.